The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I want to welcome everyone here today. It's great to see you all. Every, every time I walk into this church, I'm, uh, I'm excited that I get to be here. Um, I, my wife and Stacey and I feel that very much. Uh, we were actually just at a funeral yesterday, and we got to see a lot of uh, people that we were... Uh, that we used to go to school with at Liberty. We got to catch up. A lot of people you lose touch with. And, and the one thing that, that we, we got to tell people is that we have an awesome church family. And in doing that, we felt uh, incredibly blessed that we can say that. And also in doing that and then having those conversations, we realized firsthand just how rare that is. It's not everywhere that you find what we have here. And, and to God be the glory for that. We, we thank him that we can have the body of Christ here that, that we do. A.W. Tozer has written a wonderful book titled The Knowledge of the Holy. On the first line of the book, Tozer writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Later on in that very chapter, Tozer moves on to say, The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion, and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Now, somewhat philosophical this morning, and and that can be hard to, to stay with, especially when I'm reading it out loud to you, but from those two excerpts, Tozer essentially makes the following two conclusions. Number one is that the most important thing that man has on this earth is his understanding of God. And number two, the most important message that the church has to give is the knowledge of God. And I think that he is right. For when we have a correct understanding of who God is, and when we give the knowledge of God, when the church gives the knowledge of God, Man understands his rightful place before God. Man understands that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. That he has a greater understanding of the gravity of Christ's death on the cross. And he yearns then to live a life to glorify his Father in heaven and to know him intimately. When studying the knowledge of God or the attributes of God, we are inevitably led to two questions. Number one is, who is God? And number two, what is he like? Now, when you think of those questions, when you immediately think of them, they they seem somewhat trivial, somewhat simple. But when you actually start to think about what those two questions require of you, it starts to become very intimidating. Who is God? And what is he like? Those are daunting questions indeed. In truth, The only way that we can know who God is and what he is like is through this book right here. It's through his word. What a precious gift that we have in his holy Bible. That we can clearly read who God is and what he is like. I've been convicted over and over again over the last months that it's, they're they're just, the thought has come to my mind that it's so amazing that God hasn't left us here blindfolded figuring out what we need to do trying to discern for ourselves what God expects of us. We can open it and clearly read what he expects of us in our lives as Christians. I'm afraid so many of us 
fail to do that, though. As we go over the attributes today, it's important to note that all of these attributes are present in all of the Godhead, meaning they're present in the Father, they're present in the Son, and they're present in the Holy Spirit. They're not limited to one part of the Godhead. They're in all three at the same time. Over the next couple weeks, and yes, I'm not going to try and go through all of the attributes today, Over the next couple weeks, we will be studying the attributes of God. We will be dividing up these attributes into two different categories. Number one is incommunicable attributes, or attributes that are only or specific to God, meaning we do not possess them. They're specific to our God. And number two, communicable attributes, which are attributes of God that we can also possess albeit on a very, 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 very limited scale. Examples of incommunicable attributes that we'll go over today are immutability. God cannot change. Omniscience. He is all-knowing. Omnipresence. He is everywhere at once, in all time. Some of the communicable attributes that we'll go over next week are, are attributes like love, mercy, grace. We are capable of these, but again, just in a very, very finite way. I must admit at the start of this that I have been uh, intimidated, uh, humbled, more intimidated, and then more humbled to actually attempt to study this. A fitting description of the study of God was penned by Stephen J. Lawson. Uh, He said, trying to understand our God is like actually trying to wrap your arms fully around the Atlantic Ocean. It just doesn't really work that well. You can't really do it. Um, Anything we try to understand about God, we are understanding understanding in a very, very limited way. We are finite beings. There's a limit to what we can perceive, what we can understand. Um, The great Puritan writer Richard Sibbs said it appropriately when he exclaimed, How can the finite comprehend the infinite? We can apprehend him, but we can never comprehend him. Meaning we can perceive him. We can can perceive who God is. We have his word. We can perceive he's there. We can perceive perceive some of the attributes that he has, but we can never fully comprehend his his being. As we begin today by looking at God's incommunicable attributes this morning, please understand by by covering all of these attributes, even just the incommunicable ones, we're really just scratching the surface. Um, This is a topic that that you could spend uh, a year worth of Sunday schools really digging in depth with. Um, So we're going to go over it on a very kind of surface level. And then I'm going to leave it up to you uh, during the week uh, to get into the Word, to study it, to maybe pick up a, a book that we've, we're lucky. There's been some wonderful books that have been written on this very subject by some very, very, very uh, intelligent theologians. Um, and I would encourage you to, to, to open those. We can talk more about those later. Um, but we're really only going to be scratching the surface. So without further, further ado, let's, let's begin. Uh, let's get to uh, the first attribute uh, of, of God, the first incommunicable attribute of God, which is God's uh, self-existence. So God contains his own existence within himself. It is the nature and the essence of God to exist. He is not brought into existence, nor can he fail to exist. In Genesis 1.1, we read, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We do not read, in the beginning, 
God was created, and then God decided to create the heaven and the earth. We do not read, in the beginning, God kind of came onto the stage or into the stage and started to create. We do not read that God sprang into being and started to create. We, we read, in the beginning, God, meaning he has always been present. Always. As far back as we can think. I think we're starting to try and do the whole arm wrapping around the Atlantic Ocean thing, and it's, it's difficult, right? It's, it's hard to think about. In Revelation 4.8, we read, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and the rest they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. So not only is God in the beginning, meaning God was always present, he is the same God that is with us today, and he will be the same God that will be with us for eternity. For infinity. He will never, ever, ever change. He will be God. Okay, Very difficult to wrap your mind around. It should be noted within this one that God did not have to create. I, it drives me nuts when I hear people talk about that. Oh, God was, he was bored and he wanted something to do, so he created. God does not need us. He was not bored when he decided to create us. It was purely and nothing less than a sovereign act on his part that was according to his will. He did not have to do that. Likewise, he did not have to stop with us. If he really wanted to, if it was his will, he could have kept on creating. But he didn't. He created heavens and the earth, and then he put man on there, and that was his creation, and it was good. God does not need us. He was not bored or lonely. God is all-sufficient within himself. Romans 11.36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is an all-inclusive statement. God is the source of everything. He is the means of all things, and he is the goal of all things. For of him and through him and to him are all things. There is actually no reality outside of that statement. With that, let's go to the second attribute, which is God's self-sufficiency. So God possesses all that is needed to be God within himself. He is sufficient for all things. Another way of thinking about that or, or looking at that is that God does not need to go outside of himself to get something that he lacks so that he can complete something. That's not the reality at all. Every trait that a human can have, God has in an infinite quality and quantity. Think about that. Every trait that a human being can possess, God has in an infinite quality and quantity. When I think of that, I think of the body of Christ. So we uh, come to church uh, every Sunday. We meet as a, a, a body of believers. And within that body, there are, are many different talents. Some people are very gifted musically. Others are, are very good at uh, preaching and teaching the word. Other, others are very good at encouraging. There's many different gifts and talents that are within, are within the body of Christ, and they're all very needed. And when you start to think about how many people it really takes to, uh, in the body of Christ to really get a well-rounded body that's operating as, as Christ would have us, and then you think about the fact that God has all of those qualities in an infinite quantity, I mean, you could take it one step further and you could gather the entire body of Christ that is on this planet 
I mean, it would be quite impressive the quality that that would be there as far as uh, giftedness in in music, giftedness in preaching, right? You think about that. If you have that many people come together, there's going to be an amazing level of talent there. And when you think about that, that doesn't even compare. It's not even a drop in a bucket compared to the the, the uh, infinite uh, qualities that our, our God has. It's encouraging to think about. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Think about that. Think about what that verse is saying. Think about the capabilities of our God. They're infinite. They're never ending. Um, I think about myself getting ready for work in the morning. And if I, 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 I walk to work in the morning uh, and I get myself all ready and I, I leave the house and probably about 50% of the time I have to come back because I've either forgotten my head or I've forgotten something that I needed for school that day. And when I'm looking at my wife right now, the percentage is probably more like 80 or 90. Um, I'm all over the place. I feel constantly like I'm running around with a chicken, like a chicken with my head cut off. But when you realize Isaiah 40 verse 12 and you, you understand that contrast, it's amazing to think about how sufficient God is. The third attribute that we're going to look at is uh, God is infinite. He's infinite. So God has no boundaries. He has no limitations. He has no restrictions on the qualities that are his. God is never limited in any respect to his own being, his attributes, or his existence. In Psalm 147, verse 5, we read, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. His greatness is beyond measure. A good example of God's infinitude or infinity is a, is a, a misconception that I had as a kid. And I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, when I was a kid, I, I would read the story of creation and I would come to a point where, okay, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he created all the creeping things, the, the birds of the, the uh, air and the, the fish of the sea. And he put everything in, he created man. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And as a kid, my mind just goes to, well, if God was capable of doing all that, he must have just been tired. <laughs> I mean, think about what he created. I think on the seventh day, if anybody needs some rest, that would be him. And in my, my childish mind, that's kind, of, that's kind of the logic that I found. But we know that to be completely false. Again, like I said earlier, if God wanted to, he could have kept creating forever. There is absolutely no limit to the power within his attributes. Uh, out of all his attributes that we venture to really commit to knowledge, this is probably one of the more difficult ones to, to under, really understand. For at the outset, we have to admit that, again, trying to grasp something like this, we, we cannot fully understand that. Um, our culture today leans heavily on the field of science. Uh, we know that, right? We're, we're very scientific in our thought. Um, in this field, we love to have measurement. We love to have a cause and then a consequence of that that cause that action Um, we love to have uh, a a product and the sum of all its parts laid out and logically think it through and it it makes sense to us and i think here is really where science and biblical thought really collide and they butt heads because it it really is a great crossroads we are very uncomfortable with the thought of a being or a deity that we cannot measure we can't measure him we cannot control him god is of infinite power 
There is no beginning to our God, and there is no ending. He was and is and is to come. And for a believer in Christ, how comforting is that? That we serve a God that has unlimited everything. His, his ability, his, uh, his presence in what we conceive as time is infinite. There will never be a time that, that we are without him. Number four, God is immutable. God is immutable. Now, this is just a uh, really kind of a, a fancy theological way of saying that God cannot and does not change. God cannot and does not change. He cannot change who he is, and he cannot change his ethical commitments, which are an extension of his moral character. For example, uh, his attributes of holiness, love, righteousness, good, goodness, eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence, all of those attributes, they are always true of God and cannot be other than they are. Meaning it's not like God is going to just turn those off at some point. They're, they're, they're always, they're immutable, they're constant, they will never, ever change. Then there is the immutability of his ethical commitments. So these are not quite as ultimate as God because the reality is he did not have to commit to them. God did not have to create He did not have to promise Abraham in Genesis 12 that through him the nations of the world would be blessed. He made that promise freely of his own will, and he did not have to do it. But once he did, his promise was irreversible. Once he made that promise, that was set in stone. It was constant. It was unchanging. In Malachi 3.6, we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What comfort we can take through this, but what a double-edged sword it really is. On one hand, we, as, as a believer in Christ, we have extreme comfort in this because we know that the promises that God has made to us, they're never going to change. When we pass from this life to the next and we meet God on that that day of, of, of judgment, when we meet him and we have to give an account of our life, we can be sure, because of the knowledge of his attributes, we can be sure that the blood that Christ paid for us on the cross, when God looks at us, he's not just going to see righteousness, he's going to see Christ's righteousness. And we can be sure of that. And how comforting is that? How comforting is that for people who who lose loved ones and they pass on to the next world and we don't we don't always maybe have a, a, a good enough understanding that that is completely set in stone. On the other hand, how scary is that? That if we do not know him, that if we reject him, that if we go through this life and that is reality, on the day of judgment when we stand before God, he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, you know what, on this one I'm going to give you a pass and you can enter my kingdom. That's not how it works. God is immutable. Number five, God's, and by the way, these are not ordered in any, any way. They just have ordered them. God, number five is, is God's omnipresence. Arms around the Atlantic Ocean here. God is everywhere present. He is not limited by space and time. That just hurts my brain to think about. God is everywhere present. He's not limited by space and time. You and I can occupy one space at one time. I'm standing before you right now, and I promise you I'm, I'm nowhere else. Actually, um, 
I didn't think of this. Um, I have slowly spread a, a rumor to my grade eight students that I can be in more than one place at one time. Now that's kind of like ethically maybe, but it's just to, to essentially tell them, you know what, when I'm not looking, I'm still looking and you need to still be doing your work. And that's, that's, that's what I've kind of jokingly, very jokingly talked about them. But in reality, that's not true at all. It's, it's, we are in one place at one time. Um, God occupies all spaces of all time. So it's not just that he can be at this moment, uh, in 2017, on Sunday morning, he can be in all places at once. It's that he can be in all places all at once for the eternity of the universe. Try and think about that one. That's a little bit intimidating. When we take the time to think about some of these atoms like that, mm-hmm. it should humble us to where we yes. worship and praise him. Yep. And that's part of the problem with our churches today. If Tozer was right, we, mm-hmm. we think of these things. We don't think long enough and hard enough. To where it humbles us and blows our mind to think we are yep. just and you are forever and you never change. Yep. Or you're everywhere, you're, you're big British or whatever. And yeah. It should cause us absolutely. to sit back and no matter where we're at, to just praise him for who he is. Yeah, absolutely. It makes the thoughts during the week that, that we maybe don't intentionally think about, but that creep into our minds like, no, I got this. Right, I'm going to give you all of this. You can have this, Lord. I will lean on you for this. But this area, I, I got this. And when we read this and when we try to grap- grapple what it means and understand that, it really does make that just sound so foolish. It's just so foolish that, that we think we can hide this little part that, that God's not going to understand, not, God's not going to know, and that, and that we can be okay without completely yielding it to him. God is in all places at once. We are in one place at one time, and to be honest, sometimes we're not even quite that. Uh, have you ever heard the... the, the uh, <laughs> Michelle's laughing really hard. I'm thinking there's something about Travis there. Um, we, can, we can be in one place at one time. Sometimes we're not even that. I love the saying, the lights are on, but nobody's home. How accurately does that describe us a lot of times? The lights are on, right? We're functioning, but we're really not completely there. I know my wife can really identify with that with, with me. Um, Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10. Stacy, you can stop laughing now, okay? Oh, okay. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Psalm 139, verse 7 to 10 reads, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my hell, or if I make my bed, sorry, in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. There is no place on this earth that you're going to find where God is not with you. And again, we have the two-edged sword there. It's so comforting to think about as a Christ follower. But even as a Christ follower, when we uh, maybe get into a situation where we're tempted and we think that we're alone, and you know what, we can get away with this sin, you're not alone. God's right there. He's perceiving every single thought that's coming into your head. What an amazing God we have. There is great comfort from that. Revelation 4.2 says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Again, we can think about this earth and what we can comprehend of this earth. We have maps. We understand some of this earth. 
But when we think about the fact that God is at the same time sitting on his throne in heaven, again, how small does that make us feel? But how comforting is that, that we have a God that is that awesome, that is that powerful? Psalm 123 says, Unto thee I lift mine eyes. O thou that dwellest in the heavens, behold, as thy eyes of servants look unto the hand of their masters, and as the eyes of a maiden unto the hand of her mistress, so our eyes wait upon the Lord our God until that he have mercy upon us. We have a God who is not only as awesome as we can read in the Bible, but we have a God that's willing to walk through the trenches with us. We've had a difficult few months in our church. There's been a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of suffering. There's been a lot of things that you look at and you just like you just ask why. Right? Little babies that are going through surgeries that nobody should ever have to go through. Uh, losing members of the church that have, have been married for 65 years. It, it's, it's very difficult. My wife and I, uh, currently, or, again, we were at, our, our, um, we were at a funeral. Uh, Sarah Stevenson, 24-year-old girl, called the ambulance at 11 p.m. and was dead within an hour. And you just ask, why? How? But yet when we think about our God, he is right there with us through all of it. He's, he's right there with us to comfort us through those difficult times. Attribute number six is God's eternity. Just like our God is not limited by space, he is not limited by time. It should be noted that before God created the heavens and the earth, there was no such thing as space or time. When he created the earth, he entered the place in which he could dwell among us. He created that place. He entered space and time, but God is not limited to that. This is one of the most difficult concepts for our finite minds to comprehend. I seem to be saying that a lot. Psalm 48.8 says, For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. There's no beginning, and there's no ending for the great God that we serve. Attribute number seven is God's omniscience. God is all-knowing. Um, I'm a teacher. I constantly uh, have to encourage my students, some a little bit more than others, to constantly be learning. It's important. Lifelong learning is important. Even us in this room, it's important that we have a mindset that we need to be continually learning. It's so important. God does not have to learn anything. God doesn't learn. That kind of blew my mind even in and of itself. God knows all that is knowable in the past, the present, and the future. Not only does he know everything that is actual, but he actually knows everything that is possible. In Matthew eleven twenty one, it reads, Woe to you, Terazian. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. He's saying that I have performed these miracles for you here. And if I would have, in another reality, performed these miracles for, for Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long before you have. It's amazing to think about that. It's, it's, we're not just even dealing with the, the reality of the actual. God is actually saying this was another possible outcome and in that outcome which I can see and I can perceive and I know every single thought that was ever thought in that reality 
I know exactly what happened. And they actually repented a lot sooner than, than you guys have. Isn't that amazing? There's a movement in some Christian circles today called open theism, which claims that God cannot know what free creatures will choose at any given time in the future. So it says, mankind is free, and that God actually can't know or perceive what mankind is going to choose sometime in the future. So God is limited in that capacity. So let's go to Scripture. Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Psalm 139, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If he can understand the word that is going to be on our tongue before we even know it's going to be there, how on earth does he not know what the people that he created are going to be doing and thinking sometime in the future? Right? It's, just, it's, it's so obvious. You hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful me for me, too lofty for me to attain. And I would definitely identify with that last part. God knows exactly what decisions we are going to make in the future. He knows us on a far more intimate level than any of us can ever imagine. Again, this is both encouraging and convicting. As a Christ follower, that's unbelievably encouraging. God knows exactly what's going to do what what we are, are are going to do in the future. God has a will for us, a plan for us. He knows exactly what it is. And how can we question that? How can we question that when we, when we have, have learned and we read and we really start to understand all that God is and then we can think that we know better? It's foolishness. Attribute number eight, God's omnipotence. So this attribute refers to God's ability to perform anything consistent with his nature. Another way of putting this is that God cannot fail to be less than who God is. Psalm 33, 6 reads, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Our God has infinite power. It's boundless. It has been said by scientists that it would take some 500 billion years to journey around the perimeter of the universe. And you would actually be having to travel at the speed of light while, you're, while you were doing that. Our God is capable of everything. So be comforted in this when you bring your requests before God. We're talking about a God that created the entire universe. And we're down here on earth estimating that it would take 500 billion years to travel around that. And first we have to figure out how to send somebody at the speed of light to do so. And yet it says, when God, when there was a breath that came out of his mouth, that came into existence. Isn't that amazing? Be comforted to bring your requests before God. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, uh, who was a, a wonderful theologian and, and pastor uh, in, in England in the 20th, uh, 19th century, he was actually the, the predecessor of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, he, had, uh, uh, he was speaking one day or preaching on the, the grandness of God, 
the, the uh, ma- m- majesty of, of who God is. Um, and afterwards, he had a, a little old, very proper vi- Victorian lady that came up to him, and she was, she was dressed, and she had her white gloves on, and she came up to him, uh, and she, she shook his hand, and she looked up at him. He's a, a, quite a tall man, and, and she said, uh, Dr. Morgan, may I bring little things to God or only the big things? May I bring only little things, or may I bring little things to God or only the big things? And without missing, missing a beat, Dr. Morgan looked down at her and smiled and replied, Ma'am, everything in your life is little. And how true that is. <laughs> everything in our lives are little. And even if they don't seem that, and even if we're suffering through a time of unimaginable heartache and it seems like we're never going to get out of that, our things are little in comparison to the awesomeness and the grandness of our God. He is so much more than capable of walking you through that and comforting you through that and teaching you things through that. It's amazing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now, it must be noted here that there's actually things that God cannot do. God cannot operate outside of his essence or nature. An example of this is that God cannot lie. Or God cannot change. We talked about that earlier, immutability. This is not a contradiction, but it actually further goes to reveal who God is. Bruce Ware put it well when he said, Our God is not a yin-yang. He is not light and darkness. He is not good and evil. He is good, not evil. He is light, not darkness. If this was not true, then God could promise blessing, but then judge us instead. How terrifying would that be? We serve a God of consistency and immutability. Our ninth attribute this morning is God's sovereignty. God plans and carries out his perfect will completely. This attribute really hits at the foundation of Christian theology. That is, God is, and that God exercises uncontested control over every aspect of his creation. Proverbs 21.1 says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that channels towards all his, that please him. Meaning that even the most powerful men on earth, this time it was kings, but even the most powerful men on earth, God is controlling every minute detail according to his sovereign will. A great example of this is in Daniel 4. Daniel chapter 4, we read of King Nebuchadnezzar. And how he doubted who God was and who God truly was. And what, what, did, God, what did God respond with? Does anybody know? Anybody know what, God, what did God respond with in Daniel 4? He sent him to live with livestock in the fields for years and years and years. Until finally, King Nebuchadnezzar seemed to come to a realization of who God actually was. And it went from there. But you have this king, this, this king of, of perceivingly a massive amount of power. And yet, in one instance, you have him unbelieving, and then according to God's sovereign will, in the next frame of the story, you have him living as, uh, as livestock in a field, right? People are not powerful on this earth. God and his sovereign will is. An idea that we see far too much of today, and that's really been popularized by our narcissistic culture, is the, the classic idea of having a devil on one shoulder and having God on the other shoulder. And there's somehow this thought that uh, it's up to you to make a decision and really win the day for either the devil on your shoulder 
or the God on your shoulder. And when you think about this in the context of what we're studying, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's foolishness. It's, it, it, it makes me so mad every time I see that. I'm sure you can do it on Facebook. I'm sure you can. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm sure you can. What a, really, what a laughable idea about it. Um, Martin Luther, uh, we've just kind of been 500th year of the Reformation and been kind of reading some Luther stuff. He has a, a great thought on this. Uh, he said that the devil is God's devil. The devil is God's devil. The devil is powerful, yes, but he's God's devil. And if God just lifts a finger, he does exactly what God has him do. There is only one Lord that reigns supreme, and that is the God of heaven who has always reigned, who reigns today, and will reign forevermore, completing his sovereign will without opposition. This should be an area to, of, of great comfort for a Christian. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame, before him in love. There's possibly no greater expression of God's sovereign will than the fact that before he created the foundation of the world and spoke it into existence, he knew each one of us in this room intimately. All of our thoughts, all of the actions that we'll ever take. And he predestined us for adoptions as sons and daughters before Christ. Our God has such compassion, such love to save and give grace to such wretched sinners as us. Charles Spurgeon said, There is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, and that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, and the throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. It is upon the throne that we love to preach. It is upon the throne in which we trust. The last attribute that we're going to look at today is that of God's holiness. The term holiness in Hebrew... And bear with me because I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly. Jordan, I'll I'll talk to you after and you can help me out with this. But is uh, kadosh, which carries the notion of separation or uniqueness or to be one of a kind. So to be separate, unique, or one of a kind. God is eternally separate and distinct from all impurity. A great example of this is found in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Here we read the weight of just how unworthy Isaiah felt when he saw God in, in this vision that, that, that God gave him. He was unclean. He immediately recognized how unworthy he, he was to see God. In Revelation 4.8, we'll go back to it. And the four beasts each of, had each one of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. More than any other attribute of God that we can study, God is identified in heaven as holy. He is worshipped in heaven for many things, albeit. But primarily, he is worshipped for his holiness. He, his son is the holy son. His spirit is the holy spirit. His word is the holy Bible. And the lamb that he gave to his people was the holy Lamb of God. Now, I know that we ran over those so quickly, and really we could spend a lot more time in each one of those. Obviously, our study this morning really can only dig so deep. We have just scratched the surface. So now, I'm going to turn things over to you, and read, and love to learn about Him. Yearn for that. Hunger that. You need to really have a hunger to get into the Word, and really understand, albeit as best you can, who God is. Fall greater in love with him as you behold his glorious attributes. Next week, we will begin to study his communicable attributes, those that we actually share with him, again, just in a very finite way. We're out of time, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll head in to our service this morning.